Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsbook Podcast. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. Good evening, everybody. It's June 4th, 2021. This is take two of our Friday night weekly podcast here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. And uh, tonight, live from New York, it's not Saturday night, but it's Allen. Allen is in New York this evening, and we're going to have some great discussion here tonight. Good evening, Allen. How's it going tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. I really appreciate that. It's it's a real blessing and, and real nice to be in your hometown, Brooklyn, New York, and to spend some time of your grassroots. So I'm glad to be with you and glad to still be doing the show. It, it is good to be uh, good to be home. I know you're from, uh, of course, that area. So nice to have you back, uh, back up in New York. And it's kind of neat to do a show from a different location from time to time. Um, got a lot to get to here this evening. Unfortunately, guys, our show was a little bit uh, late this evening, as this is probably our biggest uh, audio snafu and uh, scheduling uh, situation. So if anybody heard the first couple moments of dead silence about 30 minutes ago, we certainly apologize, and we thank you for uh, still tuning in. Uh, we're going to get to a lot of things here tonight. The first thing that came up in my mind, Alan, uh, in this past week in the world of sports, I know the NBA playoffs are going on, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs are going on. Obviously, we're in the full swing of Major League Baseball, and college baseball is also uh, in the, uh, in the uh, playoff tournaments right now. Something that I really find interesting is Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski of uh, the Duke Blue Devils, long tenure there, 41 seasons. He announced he's going to retire after this next season. What were your uh, first thoughts on that announcement? Yeah, it's always surprising when a guy who's been around for so long, a legend, announces retirement. I mean, you kind of look at them, you're like, he's going to coach for his entire life. But I know that he's put the time in, and he's deserved to make his own decision of what he likes to go next. I was surprised just because of that reason that you think, you know, Coach K will, will coach forever, but you understand in life, Unfortunately, it doesn't always go forever for everybody. At some point, you got to call it a career. But I was just like, you know, happy for him more than anything. And definitely know that he's going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Guy's been around forever. Outstanding coach. What are your thoughts when you first heard about the retirement? Well, I mean, well, uh, very constant in life. And very few constants in sports. I mean, look, the last 20 years, the closest thing that would be constant would be what the New England Patriots had accomplished. And so when I think of college basketball, the very first face that comes to mind, the first name that comes to mind is Mike Krzyzewski. And he's had some great talent over the years. One of the things I love about him, he's always consistent. And he never wavers from the game plan. And what I love about him as far as his coaching uh, philosophy, as I said before, 
he's had some great players over the years. You go back to those early and mid nineties teams, you know, Grant Hill and Bobby Hurley and some of the later years into the early 2000s, Shane Battier and guys along those lines. I mean, great players. He's also had some teams where maybe the talent wasn't quite as up to snuff and there were other teams that were on paper more talented, but he's always found a way to make the team still competitive and still be in the tournament. And, you know, I think back to when I was a kid. I've been watching Duke basketball for almost 30 years. One of the earliest memories for me, and, you know, if you're a Kentucky fan or if you just don't like Duke in general, this is a game that you're not going to like to hear about. But, you know, I think of the Leitner game. I think of the, the, the Final Four in 1992. That was one of the first memories of watching Duke basketball. Um, and just kind of enamored by how that game went, how the, you know, the, the last play of the game with the – 2.1 seconds left on the clock and Duke going on to win. And so with the system of these past two years, last year because there was no tournament, and then this year they just weren't a very good team, Duke is almost always in the conversation at the beginning of the season for being in the running for a national championship. And that's something that I think is going to be very much missed. And I would compare, not on the same level, but I would compare him going out or leaving – Duke after 40 plus seasons to when Bobby Bowden left Florida State or even though it was a different scenario and why he left when Joe Paterno left you know Penn State somebody who's been long tenured is suddenly going or leaving it kind of leaves a, a, a void there and you know if you're a Duke fan you're probably wondering to yourself if you're a Duke fan my age about 40 years old you don't know anything other than coach K so you're going to have to get used to a new name and a new scheme and a new um, identity. And regardless of how well the next coach does, it'll never be the same at Duke. It'll never be the same as it has been these past four decades. So, uh, But I do wish him luck at his retirement. I get to ask Coach K this. If we ever get a chance to, to interview him, he has to use the best hair dye. Because, you know, at 74, there's no way that's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my man has never aged his hair, at least. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, you know, Coach K, you know, the guy is such a legend, and you're right. The team uh, of the 1992 team with Christian Leitner, known as the shot, making that shot. I mean, I, I really was hoping that Kentucky actually won that that, that um Final Four, it just wasn't meant to be. That shot will be something I will never forget. I even watched the 30 for 30 for Christian Leitner, and that's a product of Coach K, and he drew up the play, and, you know, Christian Leitner Leitner made that turnaround jumper, and that's the thing that makes Coach K so special. He really shows you why coaching is so important, especially in the NBA, X and O's, because you're right, he's had some great talent, but he's also had years where he didn't have such good talent and he had to make the most of what he had with on the field. And that's what coach K did. He still won championships. Even when the team was subpar as far as talent, because you can almost see the difference of teams that won the championships and the ones that just barely won it. You can just tell that the talent level wasn't as good. And he just made guys. He got the most out of every single player. They all bought in. And, he, you know, he definitely, when it comes to retirement, being a, I've been through the process of retirement, it is a personal decision. It is a decision that 
at the end of the day, you are the one who has to make the decision of, do I want to do the job? As simple as that. Do I want to get up and do this or do I want to do something else? You're the one who has to make the decision. No one really can make the decision for you. There is no perfect time that, you know, you might feel as if it's time to walk away. But he, he's earned the right. And he said that uh, he's retired for family reasons. You know, Coach K is 74. He's not a, he's not a young chicken. He would his hair die, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you got to enjoy life at some point. And, and I, I've never coached a, a basketball team, but I can tell you that being around coaches, it's not an easy job. You got to help with the recruitment. You got to help with the X and O's. And some guys have talent to do things and some don't. And, you know, that's the, the you're right. Being around the same age as you, Aaron, and I can remember his, his great coaching and that shot <laughs> from Christian Leitner will be something I will never forget against uh, Duke and Kentucky, along with a lot of other great shots. But this guy is, has coached some of the great talent in the NBA too. I mean, Horace Grant, I mean, the list goes on and on. What do you think about him as a coach? Well, I mean, honestly, when I think about all the coaches and managers and, uh, you know, people that I would admire as a leader, I don't think there's anybody I can think of in sports that I would admire more than, than Mike Chesky. I just think that he, again, his body of work, you don't stay in a program for 40 years plus without having had success, obviously, in the consistency, even though there's been some bad years in there for sure. Um, but he's right off, you know, one thing I like too is he's right off of the Bobby Knight uh, coaching tree. And um, a good segue here, you know, the Lakers got eliminated from the playoffs here recently. And yeah. one of the long rumors, I mean, this goes back probably 20, 25 years. One of the long rumors that was out there was that Coach K was going to end up eventually coaching the Lakers. And I don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, he's 74 you're just not going to bring a guy at that age into coaching an NBA team for the first time. But um, I wonder if, and this is just me, you know, spitballing here more than anything else. If the Lakers had had coach K this past season in this playoffs, would that have changed anything or would it still have ended up with the same, the same end result? Uh, what are your thoughts on the Lakers uh, early playoff? exit? You know, it's one of those things where it just wasn't the Lakers year. I mean, People want to point fingers and stuff, but the Lakers, unfortunately, had a lot to deal with to repeat that had nothing to do with them actually winning the championship. Number one, they had a quick turnaround to start the year this year, something that a lot of players were kind of taking it back at. It really wasn't as, you know, a typical offseason where you get as much time to kind of recuperate. It was a quick turnaround. And then when LeBron started playing well, he was having an MVP type season. He had that high ankle sprain and was out for so long. And just recently only about two to three weeks came back. And then the, when he came back during that series, Anthony Davis got hurt. So it was one of those years where I felt the Lakers really had their cards stacked up against them to try to repeat. I mean, could they have done it? Sure. But it would have been, you know, when things are just not going your way, Things are just not going your way. And I can't say I'm shocked that they got eliminated. I, I figured that it was going to probably go down to a game seven or maybe at least a game six, and maybe they may not make it through. But 
I can't really say I'm surprised about them getting eliminated from the playoffs. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think part of it is the hangover effect from the the playoffs last year. You know, I mean, you win the title. And, you know, a year like no other where you won the title in, what was it, October or September? Yeah. I mean, and then you immediately, you know, normally your season ends, you know, the NBA Finals ends in mid to late June. And you have the whole entire summer. Camp doesn't really start until, what, like late September, mid-October, somewhere in that range. And the season yeah. doesn't really pick up again until the end of October. So you've got four or five months of really just kind of, you know, lay off and lay over. And, you know, occasionally the Olympics are in there every four years. But this was a, a different year. You know, you had a, a break basically from last March until late summer, I mean, August. And then you had basically, a, a sh- I think it was a shortened season, if I remember correctly. You had a marathon of playoffs uh, that seemed like it went on forever and ever and ever. And then – you stop for two months, and then immediately you pick up a season again. So, you know, I'm not going to blame that in particular. They just got outplayed, and they got outplayed, and they got outcoached. Um, they're older, uh, a year older than they were a year ago, and they just they simply got outplayed. But I do think if you're going to look at the factors, you know, and this is the same thing in any sport for the most part, you're the last team standing. You've got a lot of things you're going to be doing in the off season. You've got a lot of, you know, interviews and – a lot of the publicity stuff that goes on and let's face it too. I mean, look how good that team was last year. They squeezed every ounce of energy out of themselves to win the title back this past season. And then you try to make that run again. And, you know, I I would point to, you know, going back to last summer, watching uh, the last dance and, and the last year that the bulls were together, how great that team was, but how much of a, uh, physical effort it was, and I think a lot of that it drains you. It drains you emotionally, it drains you physically, and it drains you mentally. And I'm sure the Lakers are are in all three of those areas, probably, you know, at zero level at this point. So um, for them, I wouldn't be shocked if you know they have a, a busy off season, they retool and regroup and put that talent back out there again. They're are in a, another run for another title next year. Um, they've got a lot of good players around and some opportunities maybe to build in free agency and we'll have to see what happens. No, you're absolutely right. They're going to rebuild. They're going to be fine. You know, you have Magic Johnson there. He He's in charge of getting a lot of the talent in. They're always going to have a very good team. They'll be fine. They'll retool. But unfortunately, you know, to your point, when you are an older players, you know, when you – LeBron in particular, your main player, having extra time off does work in your favor. You know, they had the season where the one that they did win, they did benefit at least from not having to travel. They started later in the year. Those things help a guy like LeBron. He may not admit it, but once you get older, believe me and you, I've been through the process. Your body doesn't respond as quickly as it did when you were younger. You do appreciate that extra rest. And that's where I felt as if, you know, you know, no excuses. They got outplayed to your point. They got they got out coached and they just got beat by a better team that was hotter. And when you're an older player, you need more time off. You need more rest, and also you need more time to get into a groove. And I, I just felt as if it wasn't enough time for LeBron to get back healthy, real, really kind of catch a stride, and it showed. And with Anthony Davis getting hurt, once Anthony Davis 
kind of got hurt in this series, I pretty much knew that it was it was going to be tough for them to get out of that series if they did make it out. And, and to your point, you know, you need to you need to go ahead and and keep playing hard. One thing about the Lakers is I think they'll they'll be back and they have a great great organization with Jeannie Buss and they'll be back. It's just unfortunately this is going to be a bump in the road. When you when you play as long as you have, things happen. So congratulations for the Suns to, to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we get some of these shocks sometimes in the NBA. I mean, I think the, the biggest one that I can think of in the last 20 years was 2004. So let's see, 17 years back. And that was when uh, Detroit really shocked the Lakers in the NBA Finals. And uh, obviously that was not – something that anybody thought was going to happen. And it ended up, uh, you know, where they were able to, to, you know, knock the Lakers off. And I remember back then thinking, you know, that might've been one of the best Lakers teams ever with, you know, Shaq and the late Kobe, Um, you know, Phil Jackson obviously was still there, had a lot of opportunities and came up short. So this is probably one of the more disappointing Lakers teams since probably that 2004 season. Yeah, it, it definitely isn't Lakers style. It, it's the first time LeBron has actually lost in the first round of the playoffs. And I give him a, a testament of how great he is. This is the first time he's, he had the first round exit in the playoffs. And that's saying a lot. Even my Yankees have done that where they lost in the first round, you know, and for, for LeBron, he's been around so long and he's done so many records <laughs> unfortunately, when you've been around for a long time, things that never happened to you, unfortunately, it's the law of, it's the average numbers. It's it's one of those things where if you keep going to the well enough, something different will happen. And if you be that you've been playing as long as you have, like LeBron, unfortunately, getting your first of the first time losing in the playoffs on the first round, unfortunately, does happen. And the Lakers are not used to losing in the first round. But, it, you know, in sports, unfortunately, it does happen. No, that's a very, yeah. very good point there. Uh, I mean, a testament, as you mentioned, to his long uh, long career. This is the first time that's happened to him, um, which, uh, you know, surprises me because he was on some, some teams in uh, in Cleveland that were good, but obviously they weren't the, the best teams. And then, he, of course, finally uh, won the championship down in uh, Miami, uh, what, eight or nine years ago. And then, of course, went back to Cleveland. He's won an NBA title in three different cities, which is something that's uh, unique about him. But, uh, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, you know, the Lakers were right back, again, where they normally expect to be. They are, in fact, the Yankees of basketball. I mean, they have that big budget. They always are an attractive place to go. And, you know, you talk about a lot of players – one team they want to play for at some point in their career is the Los Angeles Lakers. So, um, you know, again, it wouldn't be surprising to see them bounce right back. And that's kind of the way it goes. You know, you talked about your Yankees there before in seasons where they got knocked out early on. Their goal that next off season is to make sure that they don't get knocked out the next year the same way. So it wouldn't shock me to see them, you know, put themselves in a position where they have a much, much better team and a better chance, you know, the following season. Exactly. Yeah, they're going to be back. And that, you don't worry about teams like the Lakers because they have a long history. They know where they went wrong. 
and they'll be back. So, you know, and I did want to say, you know, I'll give props to Vanessa Bryant, you know, wife of, of Kobe Bryant. She, uh, she bought her daughter a Tesla and she just graduated from college. So congratulations on that. Big props for that. Let me give her a round. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vanessa Bryant's a great woman. I, I definitely, uh, appreciate following her if she's ever listening to this show you know keep putting out positive messages and and being a great person to follow with her and her daughters you can tell that she uh is a great mom she loves spending time with the family but she's uh very down to earth and she made a, a fantastic speech for Kobe and his hall of fame induction so uh definitely vanessa bryant i feel like she's part of the lakers team now so big props to vanessa yeah. bryant Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so not a whole lot going on in the, uh, the Aaron Rodgers Packers saga. I know we've been kind of following that the last yeah. uh, month or so. It's kind of gotten quiet. Um, and the interesting thing about that, some stories came out this week that the advantage actually is at this point in the hands of the future quarterback in Green Bay, which is Jordan Love. He's been able to get a lot more of the reps in practice. And wow. to really show his uh, his skill set to that offense. I remember reading an article here maybe Tuesday or Wednesday this past week, and I kind of wonder if that may be the beginning of the transition that's going to be taking place here in the next year or two. I mean, it's, it's pretty pretty uh, pretty likely. What are your thoughts on where things are as far as how that story has developed over the last month or so? Yeah, you're right. This this week has been kind of quiet in the saga, the prior to quietest of the week. But I, uh, you know, I just think I, I think uh, Aaron Rodgers is letting his ego get the best of him is what I think. I think um, you know, he's kind of sending a message that you know he wants to go, but at the same token, he's kind of sending a message he doesn't really care if if they he wants to be traded. He doesn't really care about how this plays itself out and which is kind of surprising. You kind of get like a smug attitude from him that, you know, Hey, I'm just having fun, living my life, doing my thing. If things don't work on my way, I'll retire and not play. If, if things are not exactly the way I want it, then I will. If things are exactly where I want it, then I will play. If they're not exactly where I want it, then I'll just retire or go to another team. That's the kind of attitude I kind of get from him. I think that's a positive for Jordan Love for him to get more reps in in OTAs and practice now, because if I'm the Packers, that's what I'm thinking that you got to give Jordan Love shot now. You know, you have tremblings. This is not good publicity for the Packers. You drafted up to get this guy. He's his second year in the league. You have to give him an opportunity at some point. And I know Jordan Love is chomping at the bit to get that opportunity because I know I would too. Who wants to be sitting on a bench for a year plus and learning? And now you're going into year two and you really don't know if you're going to be the starter or not. I would start assuming I'm going to be the starter. Uh, that's what I would think. And I'm glad that they, they are giving him more reps. So that, that is, that is true that he's getting more reps now in practice. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, from, from the articles I've been reading and of course, you know, and that may happen anyways, you know, with, with a younger quarterback, you may give him a little bit more opportunity to kind of, you know, develop his skill set. But again, for, for Rogers, and I know we've been kind of beating a dead horse on this. It's the same, same news every single time we talk, but you know, 
the thing that I, I, I think from a team perspective and also from his ego and selfishness perspective, you get a team who's having, you know, OTAs and you've got him running around in Hawaii and climbing up the side of volcanoes and mountains and all these different things. And, you know, it's just, you know, what does he care about? Does he care about his him, himself or does he care about the organization? And I think at this point, it's it's, it's the, the, the first of the two. He, he just seems to be more interested in making sure that it's him that has the fingerprint on everything and not everybody else. And I think that, you know, the downside to that whole saga playing out is it really hurts the, the locker room when you have a guy yeah. like is. I said this about Theo a couple weeks ago. You could say this about a lot of guys uh, in football and quite frankly, in any sport, when you put yourself above the team, if you want the, the, the media and the fans to look at you and say, hey, you're the most popular player or you're the guy I think of when I think of this organization, that's one thing. But when you let that become your, you know, your way of thinking and that gets in the way of letting the team play better, this could be – if he plays this year, this could be a disaster in Green Bay. I mean, they could really have a bad year, even though they've got a lot of talent this could be the thing that really kind of disrupts the rhythm that they've had, you know, going these last two years. Because if you think about it this way, Green Bay in the last two seasons, they have, they have I think outside of Kansas City, they have the best record in football. Yeah. And Matt, Matt LaFleur, uh, believe it or not, if you look this up, uh, he is for the first two seasons of any coach in Green Bay history. And think of the, the coaches that Green Bay's had. Three Super Bowl winning coaches. You know, we're talking about, uh, Vince Lombardi, obviously, they named the trophy after him. You had Mike Holmgren, who was there in the 90s and turned the whole franchise around. And then you had Mike McCarthy, who was the third Super Bowl winning coach there. Matt LaFleur has won more games in his first two years than any of those other two or three guys I just mentioned um, in their first two years in the organization. That says a lot right there that this team is heading in the right direction, and this is just the thing that's going to derail it. Uh, is this right here. And it's an ego thing, and it's a uh, – I didn't like the coaching hire. I want the offensive scheme to be based around me. I wanted you to draft a receiver, not a quarterback. Well, you know, unfortunately for Aaron Rodgers, his his time is not getting any any uh, any longer. I mean, he's he's a year or two, probably three at the most, away from retirement as it is, anyways, at his age. Even though he's been relatively healthy his entire career, you're gonna draft the next guy, and if that next. The Packers have had a philosophy as long as the day is long that they typically draft the best player available. And in 2005, even though they had Brett Favre, who was a future Hall of Fame quarterback at that time, the best player available was Aaron Rodgers when they selected. This time around in 2020, a year ago, they knew, hey, Aaron Rodgers' career is getting closer to the end. We need to find a way to, to still be competitive. And they fit, they found the fit that fit best for them. So I don't know how this is going to play out, but I sure hope soon we have something so that everybody can kind of have closure on it and move on to what they need to do. No, I agree more than than anything. You're exactly right. And the Packers are very versed in this type of drama. I mean, I I feel like this is maybe not to the degree of drama as Brett Favre, but it's getting up there. You know, yeah. and it's getting up there. I would say Brett Favre is, is is definitely number one in that drama category. But Aaron is creeping his way up. 
You know, maybe <laughs> yeah. not as high, but he's creeping up there. And the Packers should be versed in this. And the first thing the Packers need to do is make a decision of what you're going to do. Make a decision. Like, don't have your young quarterback in limbo whether he's going to play or not. And then don't leave Aaron Rodgers out in the limbo too, whether he's going to play for this team or some other team. You got to make a decision of what you're going to do. And you have to make the decision, I would say, quicker than not, especially now that you're doing OTAs and getting work in. You got to make a decision. And yeah, it's unfortunate because I like Aaron Rodgers and he always said the right things when he was coming up and he's been a, a very good player. Yes, I do think he, he probably should have got a ring one or two more, but he has been a very good player. He's very spotty, can be great and MVP at the times. And but at the same token, it's unfortunate that his his ego has gotten to this to this large. It's really disappointing. I'm really shocked that you know he's not. He's, it's 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 like this. He's smart enough not to cross a line where he goes to style and does that. But he gets right to the line where you can kind of see right through it. He tries to pull it back some, but you can see the ego. It's oozing out of him, and it's not. And it's different between confidence and ego. They're two different things. You know, a guy can be confident, even overconfident. That's fine with me. But when you're making it about yourself, and it's really all about you. Okay, yes, I agree with I agree with him in this regard. The Packers should have gotten him more more help. But at the same token, you don't just because they don't draft a number one receiver or a number two receiver doesn't mean you don't have players on your team that can can't catch the ball. You have a good team. Yes, you might have only have a one or two first round picks, but you have a good team and you win that game, you you you're in the Super Bowl against against the the Bucks, you understand? And I am, if, if anything, I feel as if the reason why they didn't win that game had a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers. I hate to say that. Aaron Rodgers did play well, but you had a touchdown walking in, basically. If you didn't walk into a touchdown, you would have got down maybe by the one or two-yard line, and you were trying to force it to Adams too much. You really were. Very, you were very pretty cool. yeah. Yeah, you were forcing the ball too much to the same guy. Yes, I don't agree with them kicking that field goal at that point. That was kind of a coach's blunder. I said that before on this show. But at the same token, you were forcing it to the same guy. It's pretty predictable. If you didn't get it on on that down, third down, which you didn't, you would have tried to force it to Adams again on fourth down. It's very predictable. You know? Yeah. Very, very true. Very, very true. Yeah, so, very predictable. Not a whole lot else in the NFL right now, though. Just uh, kind of a quiet time. It's kind of the calm before the storm. Uh, OTAs have been going on. Um, you know, there will be some some cuts here soon. There may be some more free agent signings. But really, between now and when camps open up here in July or August, it might be some draft pick signings, that sort of stuff. But for the most part, it's going to be pretty quiet NFL-wise next uh, several weeks or really the next month and a month and a half or so on that front. We're right in the full swing of uh, Major League Baseball right now. Uh, we're here in early June. Uh, we're a third of the way through the year. And i got to tell you what, as a Central Florida resident, just like you are, and I grew up in Brooklyn right now, but 
I bought those Rays. They are red hot as they can be right now. They've won 16 of their last 17 games uh, coming into, I think it was yesterday. They have just been as red hot, and they swept the Yankees. They swept your Yankees uh, here recently. Um, how about Tampa Bay? How, how about how they're doing right now? Yeah, Tampa Bay is doing really well. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised because, you know, I predicted the Rays to be a tough team to beat. They're leading the AL East, which is a very tough division, by a game and a half right now. Red Sox are in second place, and my Yankees fell back to third place five games out because of that sweep. You know, you you hate to get swept in a series, at least win one game. And my Yankees did get swept, and it's it's unfortunate, but they ran into a really hot team. And... You know, when you get swept, it's kind of unfortunate the Yankees did get swept because they were making strides and were doing so well. And then to get swept, to move back to five games out. I know you're right. It's only a third of the season. There's still about 100 games to go. About 100 games to go. Um, let's see. They got most of the teams got about close to 60 games in. So, <laughs> They got about 100 yeah. games out, and but you just hate to go down to fifth place. And, and the Rays, and that's a testament to how good they draft good talent and their farm system. The Rays, I mean, we, we talked about this last week about the Rays possibly moving to Ebor. I tell you what, since the, the Rays have been to the World Series, they have put on a very competitive team since they have really shown that they can be competitive almost every year. Doesn't guarantee you're going to win the World Series, but for you to be coming in winning games, you could come to a, a Rays game and actually see a win. And more often than not, if you go to Rays, I mean, their record right now is 36 wins and 22 losses. Win percentage of 621. So that's a pretty good percentage that if you watch a Rays game, you're going to watch a win. What do you think about their streak and what they're doing? Well, I think it's just impressive. And, you know, the, the thing about uh, successful organizations like theirs, their run of success is kind of similar to what Oakland uh, has done the last uh, – had, had done in the early 2000s. You don't have a big payroll. you got a lot of good talent that you draft or maybe you get in trades. And what Tampa is so good at doing, and we just witnessed this this past off season, you get a player – you, you, you buy low, you get them in a draft or maybe in a trade, and you sell high. And, you know, we, we've, we've – I mean, I can go back and give you example after example after example. I'll go back to 2008. Uh, early, I think 2003, they drafted Delman Young as the first overall pick, and I believe it was a 2003 draft. This is a guy who is being talked about as the next Bell, the next great power hitter, and – he never really developed quite to that level, but they flipped him to Minnesota between 2007 and 2008 and ended up with, uh, with Matt Garza. And they, I think they also got Jason Bartlett, who was a big part of their 08 team. They, they put together a really great pitching staff, and it culminated in 2008 with a trip to the World Series that was not really something that anybody thought would happen. Uh, and so you go forward a couple more years, and they turned around. They traded Scott Casimir, um, James Shields. They ended up with Will Myers in that deal, and they flipped Myers over to San Diego. So they, they, they continuously take players that are at the high end of or the beginning of their peak, and they flip them and trade them, 
and then they get two or three players in that trade, and you know they're able to continue to do the same thing over and over again. So it's really just simple, smart baseball moves. It's economically smart. It's it's the old adage: buy low, sell high. And I think they are the model team to do that right now. And again, they they scout very well. They're very analytical, uh, over analytical sometimes because as we talked about here six months or so ago. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that cost them, I think, in the World Series last year, not that they necessarily would have won, but it certainly cost them in terms of some opportunities. But, you know, if I'm putting together a baseball team, an expansion team, or if I'm taking over an organization, the first thing I'm going to do is look at who Tampa has available in their scouting department and say, I'm going to look, bring these guys over to my organization because I like the way they do business. And that, that same thing happened in the, in the 90s. You know, you look at Atlanta, everybody wanted to model what they had done with their farm system. And so you had teams hiring parts of their organization going elsewhere. And, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But it really shows you that preparation from the ground level of scouting up to drafting and signing players and then making smart decisions is really what it's all about, really what makes those those things uh, allow them to be a competitive team. It's not always the big free agent signing that, you know, sells all the jerseys and becomes the popularity thing. Those aren't always going to be the decisions that make a team a championship caliber team. No, you're absolutely right. And you're, you made a great point as far as the team and drafting right and, and also making a championship caliber team. You know, that 2018 was something special. And, and I'm just not talking just to talk. You know, I was one of the early predictors. I remember I went to a Rays game. And I was actually that year, I went to quite a few Rays games. And I got a chance to, to, to meet a lot of the players that year. And just seeing how they came to the ballpark, seeing how serious they were. They weren't mean or anything like that, but they were all business when they showed up. They would sign some autographs, but they, you could tell that they were focused and had a goal and a mission they were going after that year collectively as a team. It was really, really fascinating to see that. I had never seen that type of look and that type of aura that they had every player leading up to that 2008 series, that 2008 year, how serious in all business they were. I even said, when the Rays were winning a few games, I remember I getting looks at from people online. I was waiting to go into into the Rays stadium, and literally about eight people online looked at me like I had ten eyeballs on. I said, "Listen, I've been watching this this team, and I tell you right now that this team, I would not be surprised if number one they won a division, and number two they made a a deep playoff run." And everybody thought I was crazy especially knowing that I'm a Yankees fan. I said, I, I'm a Yankees fan, but because of the fact that I'm a Yankees fan, I know talent and I know when a guy is serious. And you could tell they were serious. And it did not surprise me that they won a division. It did not surprise me they went and, and went to the World Series. I was actually surprised they didn't win the World Series that year. The team was that good. Like you mentioned, Matt Garza, Bartlett, they played so well together. And that race... Ray's aura really didn't let up since that year. I mean, yes, they, they didn't always make it to the World Series, but they they found a recipe of success, 
And I got to give the Rays a lot of a lot of credit. I got to tip my hat to them. Yeah, they had a great uh, great run that year. And in fact, I I went to uh, I think it was Game Two of that division series against the White Sox, and I'd never seen anything like that before. I've been to a lot of baseball games over the years, a lot of games at Tropicana Field. I've been to games there, and I probably said this on the program at least two or three times previously. But I you know I went to games there back in the late '90s and early 2000s where you know there were very few fans in the stands and then to go there in 2008 when you got there two hours before the game started and you could barely walk through the uh, through the the concourse without running into somebody so it's an amazing thing to see that and I think that the thing you know 13 years ago was, was when this happened 2008 you know they got off to such a great start then they had a streak in early June so right about the same time of the year where they lost, I think, eight games in a row, and everybody kind of thought, eh, well, they had a good run. They showed they were competitive, but maybe they're falling back down to earth. And then, uh, obviously, um, you know, they held on to the division and won, and I think really what hurt them in the playoffs, Boston was clearly the best team they played against in that playoff uh, run that year. The White Sox were a decent team, um, you know, certainly. Uh, but Boston, you know, had come off – they were the World Series champions from the year before – they were probably the most stacked team, and it was almost like once they got past Boston, they kind of let their guard down. Philadelphia really had no business winning the World Series that year, even though they had a great roster. Tampa Bay really should have won that that series. They just really didn't play well. They played almost overconfident, like they had this thing wrapped up, and then obviously it didn't uh, go quite the way they thought it would. Um, I think that was probably the year they had a better chance than as opposed to this past year because the Dodgers – you know, certainly a very, uh, very strong uh, team. And obviously they were able to, to pull it off and win their first World Series since 1988. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa was right back in the World Series this year. They've got a just an unbelievable team. And the thing about them that I think is so crazy and so beneficial to them is a lot of these players on their team, they're not necessarily superstars. The scouting reports aren't over indicative of what these players do and the unknown sometimes is where the advantage comes in so when you don't have as much information on a player or a guy who hasn't necessarily played in the league as long you don't have as much information to base you know your decisions off of so you know got to give Tampa a lot of credit for a team with such a small payroll they are able to do so much and even I mean look their, their payroll is a small fraction of what New York's payroll is or Boston's payroll or the Dodgers' payroll. And they play up to that same level. So they're the little guys, and I always admire that. And I'm a fan of of baseball in general. Obviously, I have a team that I root for, but I love young teams. I love seeing young players get drafted and come up to the farm system and develop. Nobody does it better than Tampa right now. No, you're absolutely right. I love seeing young guys get developed, and I love to see teams that – play well together, meaning you might have a guy on your team that can hit home runs, one or two guys like that, but I really, really love the small ball of the game. If you have guys that can manu- – teams that can work together to manufacture runs, that's a thing of beauty. You're playing great baseball then, you know, where you don't have to necessarily hit the ball out of the ballpark to win a game. And in more cases than not, that's what you need to win, especially in the playoffs because – those pitchers, the, the strike zone gets smaller. They don't make as many mistakes. 
And it's just hard for you to get that pitch to hit out of the ballpark. You know, it's just, can you manufacture runs? And it, like uh, David Justice said, it's, it's a triangle. You know, pitching, fielding, and timely hitting. Pitching, fielding, and timely hitting. You do those three things well in baseball, you're going to be successful. I just, I watched some of the college World Series, some of the playoffs that they've been having, and that's what you need to do. Pitching, fielding, and timely hitting. And move the guys over, bunt. If you can manufacture some runs, you can win some games. And that's what I love about the Rays, about the Rays is that they do that well. They got guys that can run well. They have guys that play well together. You don't usually see a lot of ego. It's about me. Usually they work well together when they get on the Rays, which is a great thing to see. And you have a, a low payroll with a lot of success. And it's beautiful to see that because me as a Yankees fan, I feel a lot of times they overpay for guys. I mean, you're playing baseball. You know, I mean, do you need to get like a truckload of money just to play baseball? I mean, yes, I understand you should be taken care of, but some of that stuff to me is overkill. You know, but so sometimes even as a Yankee fan, I'm like, okay, you know who's paying for that $300 million contract? That'll be me as a fan when I go to the stadium and buy a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, $10 hot dog, right? <laughs> $10 hot dog, then buy a ticket, you know. And then that's just the hot dog. What about we get some fries and a drink? Get the $8 drink? You know, I'm the one paying the guy the $300 million. So, yep. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, you know, you couldn't have got a guy that was maybe $100 million? So it's beautiful to see a, a small market team be so successful like the Rays. And teams need teams like the Rays to show that you can do it. You can compete against the small, the larger market teams in a lot of cases. Yes, I totally agree with you. That's a great point you made. The Rays did have a better chance in winning the World Series. I thought they, they to this day, I still feel as if they should have won the World Series in 2008 versus when they played the Dodgers. I, I just didn't think, um, I, you know, they kind of ran against a buzzsaw, you know, you, you just yeah. you're just not going to win those type of series. It's, it's just very difficult when you're that heavily overmatched. And they had their best shot, but I hope they I hope they do get a World Series. They haven't gotten a World Series yet. I hope they get it. Yeah, I think I think before too long that'll happen. I mean, um, it'd be hard to see them continue to have runs like this. And, you know, the thing is, is, you know, you'll get what happened to them after the 08 season. They missed the playoffs in 09, but then 2010, they were one of the best teams in baseball and they were able to, uh, you know, contend and compete. And they got knocked out early on, unfortunately in the playoffs that year. But um, as long as they're continuing to develop and make these decisions, they may not be in the playoffs every single season, but more often than not, they're going to be right there as uh, as an opportunity to, to get to where they want to go ultimately. And we'll just have to kind of see how it plays out. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting to see. That's for sure. Yeah. So what we'll do now is we'll go ahead and continue on on the Allen and Aaron sports Talk radio show. So also wanted to kind of get your thoughts 
what are your thoughts on players that decide, I guess, because of mental health, they decide, I'll tell you who I'm talking about, but I want to get your opinion. Due to mental health, a player decides to kind of walk away or take a break from A, talking to the media, and B, in some cases, competing in their sport. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you got to remember everybody's, everybody's human. And, you know, especially with what the world has been through this last year, sports are certainly not the most important thing. I obviously realize it's an outlet for people to get away from reality and from real life. Um, I can totally understand sometimes just checking out mentally, check, checking out from the, the daily grind of getting the same questions over and over again from guys who are doing their job or people who are doing their job, you know, they're supposed to ask questions and sometimes those questions are not, uh, you know, cake. They're, they may be very difficult questions or maybe the same question over and over again, night in and night out. And at some point that question was asked at the wrong time. A guy's pissed off because he had a bad game or he's had a bad week. That's totally understandable. Um, I don't have any problem with the guy to me respectfully telling the media, Hey, I'm going to take a little time off because again, it's better to do that than have a, a conflict. I think that's, that's certainly the the way to, to, to handle it. And, you know, I, I think looking back in the last 30 years, there's probably a lot of guys who maybe wished that they had taken a break from the media because they ended up in a, in a, you know, a shouting match with some person in the media, whether it was the print media or the, or the, you know, the local sports reporter. Um, I could think of a couple of guys right off the top of my head. I mean, look, Ryan Leaf, remember he got into the oh yeah shouting <laughs> match with the reporter in the locker room. That was probably 20 years ago now. Um, you've had, um, you know, one of the most famous ones in the early nineties was Hal McRae when he was managing the Kansas city Royals. And he went on a tirade where he threw stuff and, I think he threw a phone and hit one of the reporters in the face and broke his nose and just crazy things like that. So I think sometimes there needs to be a, a break. There needs to be a little bit of a, you know, take some time off, you know, let's cool things down. Um, you know, especially if you've had an altercation or especially if you feel like you're just getting picked on a little bit, uh, I get that. You know, you don't necessarily owe the media anything at the same time. I like players to be accessible too. You know, it's always a mystery to me. Like, I look back at somebody who really was not media accessible in the 90s that I always kind of wondered about was Albert. He didn't do a whole lot of talking with the media back in the 90s. A little bit more he's done in the in the time since he retired 20 years ago. But, you know, it is always interesting to see what a player's actual personality is because you have a, a uh, couple of excerpts of what they did throughout their career where they maybe weren't too happy. And you always think to yourself, well, it just must be how that guy is. And then you see him later on in life and you say, it's a soft-spoken individual, doesn't really have any uh, any anger in him. And that was kind of the thing with Albert Bell. He's probably the, the best example of anybody I can think of in the last maybe 30 years or so. And I remember watching, I don't know, probably five years ago, he did an interview with somebody in Cleveland about the Indians 95 team, 96 team those years. And him talking wasn't what I pictured. Like he he just seemed like he was a very soft-spoken individual, wasn't uh, overly aggressive, kind of like they had characterized him back then. And, and, um, but, you know, I, to get back to your question there, taking a break sometimes, I think that's the right thing. 
you know, you get, you get poked at, you get uh, second guessed by people who've never played the sport that you're playing before, play Monday morning quarterback. That's yeah, yeah. annoying. You know, I mean, and, and think about it this way, you know, whatever job you do out there, whether you are a manager of an office or if you are, you know, a teacher or a doctor or whatever, if you had people following you around all day or at the end of your day of your work, ask you questions about this, this, and this, and this, how annoying that would be. And I get they have a job to do, and I get that the, the players get the luxury, I guess you could call it, of being able to talk to the media. Um, at the same time, there's sometimes where you just want to turn all that stuff off. And so, again, I don't blame, uh, I don't blame a player for, or a coach or whoever for saying, hey, guys, I'm just going to take a little bit of time off here from that. Yeah, I mean, it is twofold. It definitely, I agree with you that if you do feel as if you're at that level of volatility, you're on edge and you feel like you're headed up to up to your head, you can kind of feel it coming when you need a break. Then, you know, you, you probably would trade maybe getting a fine than blowing up, as you mentioned, those examples and (laughs) (laughs) throwing a chair at somebody or throwing a tirade that gets played over and over and over again, especially now on the social media, on TV, you probably would want to take a break at that point. I just think that as a player standpoint, you want to, if you can do it as diplomatic as possible, because it comes across kind of, doesn't come. It's not a good look when you first announce that you're not going to talk to the media at one point, and then you go ahead. I won't mention any name. Then you go ahead and get a fine, which is usually the that's the reaction when you don't talk. You know, hence uh, <laughs> that's what happens. You know, with Marshawn Lynch, hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he did avoid the fine by showing up. But me, it's like you have to be a little bit diplomatic when you do that. When you say that you're not going to speak to the media, then you get fined. Then you kind of retaliate through social media, through Twitter, and then you withdraw from from a contest. So, you have to be a little diplomatic in that case when you do things like that, because it does come across a little disingenuous, especially when you're, you, when you're the athlete and you use the media to your advantage, meaning when there's social injustice issues that you feel that you want to get your opinion on and speak about it, which is not, which you're using your platform to voice your opinion to affect change. That's, that's all positive. And I I get it. You have the platform, you have the followers, you have the you have people's ear and their attention. But for you to use that platform when it's convenient for you, and then to flip it when it's not, that's the part I don't yeah. agree with. Yeah, no, that's I 100 percent there. You've got to take the good with the bad and the bad with the good. In other words, you know, obviously you're probably going to want to talk to the media if you've had a great game. You, you want to get, you want a championship, whatever. Um, you have a bad game or a bad series or a bad month, whatever. You can't just you can't just be like, okay, I'm only going to do this when things are going well because, you know, the players just like anybody else are going to face criticism, and the only way to get past that is to learn from it. And so, 
Um, I can see both sides, kind of what you're saying there. So I, I agree with you there 100%. Now, I will say this. I want to ask you your opinion on this, too. Of all of the player-slash-coach-slash-sports-figure blow-ups or disagreements that we've seen over the years, who would you say is your your favorite one that maybe just the media didn't always get along with and he just kind of threw it back in their face? Who would you say is maybe your favorite there? Wow, there's been a lot of legends there. I, whew, man. I mentioned one at the top of the show that I, I, I think will definitely fit this very well, but I'll let you go. <laughs> okay. And this is the, the, big, the best blow-up or the player that kind of dished back to the media? Player or coach? Uh, I'll, I'll throw that out there to you. Player or coach? Okay, player. I, his name slipped my mind. Believe it or not, there was a, a media personnel. You could tell they didn't do all their research, and they were criticizing. This is a, a collegiate player that was going into the to the draft, and then he was criticizing a player, saying that he gets a lot of penalties. And he really didn't. He got. He was a player that played good defense, didn't get a lot of penalties at all, and he just politely said, "Well, you know, he, he the media personnel called this play sloppy, and he he didn't kind of get rude or anything. He said, you know, when you say sloppy, sloppy in what way? You know, he asked like an inquisitive way. He goes, well, a lot of the offensive, a lot of the defensive penalties that you get called, and he goes." I've actually been number one in no penalties and you could check my record and my stats. He goes, I think that <laughs> you watch the tape, you'll see something different. And he said it in a real cool, clever way, but he kind of zinged them back and it was a great response. I, I, I'll get the player's name, but that was the pl- best player. The, the best. <laughs> wow. The best blow up from a coach had to be when uh, oh I guess um when the coach was going to fight the other coach. Uh I know who you're talking basketball. about basketball. Uh, Georgetown Georgetown, right. Earlier. Yeah, he passed away earlier this year. That was in the early nineties yeah. probably. Um John Thompson? Is that is that who I'm thinking of? Uh, John Thompson. You're getting close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I can picture him right in my mind right now. He always had a – he always had a – this is the same person I'm thinking of. He always had a towel around his neck because he would sweat a lot, and he'd always bring that towel out during the game. Is that who you're thinking of? Yes. Yes. It, it was uh, a line to me. I can't think of his name either, so – <laughs> yeah, John. Cal- it was John Calipari. Yeah, John Calipari. And and I forget the other player, uh, the coach. He'll come to my mind. Yeah, John Calipari. In the feud, I'll kill you. Was <laughs> the? Uh... <laughs> I'm looking it up now. Let's take a look here. Let's see. John Calipari. And John Chaney. Yeah, John Chaney. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Yep, that, I, I remember that. that. Be, it, was a, it was a post-game press conference, and they had, yes. they had press conferences on both sides of the, the conference room 
one for each school, and they were going on simultaneously, and it turned into almost a fisticuff right there in the in the hall. Um, so, yeah, that would definitely be one of the top ones there. I'll tell you who I really like, and I, I mentioned his name at the top of the show here when we were talking about Coach K. I have always loved the tongue-in-cheek back and forth between the media and Bobby Knight when he was in Indiana especially um, <laughs> because he was dead serious about everything he was saying, and he kind of said it in a kind of a, a sarcastic but very serious manner at the same time. Um, you know, there, there's there's a few – and granted, Bobby Knight, I mean, just criticize him for as much as you want. You know, obviously he, he had his, his anger issues certainly over the years, one of the highest graduation rates of any college coach in any sport, one of the most respected coaches in any sport. Like him or hate him, he certainly did a great job there. Um, one of the top college basketball coaches in the history of uh, of the sport. But he loved, I think, I think he kind of reveled almost in, in his, uh, his throwing it back to the media or, you know, just coming right off of the – right off the cuff and saying whatever was on his mind. He never had a filter. Um, you know, he never, never, uh, never wavered in that area. And uh, even, <laughs> yeah. even after he left and when he, he went to Texas tech, uh, in the early to mid two thousands, after he was dismissed at, at, uh, and Indiana, uh, Indiana, you know, he, he still threw that out there. And, and, um, you know, to his credit, you go back to some of the eighties games, he threw a, chair across the court um you know in the middle of a live press conference i mean he they had to work the the, the bleeper that day kind of thing so um he's, he's always been one of my favorite he never has really he, again he just doesn't he doesn't uh doesn't care i guess be the, the best way to put it so uh, always like that and you, you had um you, know, you go back to to the 90s i remember when bobby bonilla was with i think the mets um, oh, yeah. he, he had, he had a, 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 an episode with a reporter where he basically told the reporter, Hey, if you don't get it out of my face, you're not going to have a face laugh, you know? So there's a lot and, of interesting and, ones like that. And I would, um, if you like watching these kind of things happen, um, not that we're rooting for these things to occur, but when they happen, they are always, uh, entertaining. If you go onto YouTube and just type in uh, sports tirades, there's all kinds of stuff on there. <laughs> all kinds of great stuff and it, it is entertaining because you see guys that get they get angry they use some language that's less than stellar for you know family audiences but um kind of gives a little bit of drama which sometimes uh is lacking in the world of sports and kind of makes things a little bit uh, a little bit interesting no you're absolutely right and man that there's they make things interesting and they actually become a legend unfortunately because of their tirades and I can think of another one, Dennis Green. May he rest in peace. The coach, the Bears, <laughs> who we thought they were. Who we thought and they we were. And we let him yeah. off the hook. <laughs> the Bears, who we thought they were. And we let him off the hook. And he was right. They should have won that game. And they did let the Bears off the hook. You know, and that's what I love is when coaches and players, they just keep it real. Being authentic doesn't necessarily mean all the time you're just saying, quote, unquote, the company line. I, I find value when you're just authentic and being yourself. Dennis Green was 110% right. The Cardinals should have won that game, and they lost the game. They gave it away towards the end to the Bears. 
and Dennis Green, may he rest in peace, said it right, the Bears are who we thought they were. Meaning, we knew what we were getting into. We should have basically won that game. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you know, it keeps, it keeps it light. And, you know, <laughs> that, that was a great one with Dennis Green. If you watched that one, the Bears who we thought they were. And also, <laughs> Coach Herm Edwards was very entertaining when he said, you know, oh, hello. That's one of my favorite ones of all time. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> we play to win the game. <laughs> Absolutely love that. That's probably my favorite one of all time right there. That that and uh, Mike Gundy at, uh, at, at Oklahoma State, uh, I think it was in 2007. Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. Uh, that's, that's always been a great one. Probably one of my other favorite ones, too, is uh, uh, Jim Morrow when he was at uh, Indianapolis, the early days of Peyton Manning. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I totally win a game, you know. So uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. In fact, uh, if anybody wants to check out our Facebook page here tonight, uh, I'm going to actually post right now a uh, 30 or so minute uh, video of just great uh, excerpts of of uh, sports tirades over the last, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. Very entertaining, uh, a lot of fun to watch. Get a good laugh at a lot of them. Um, some of them are a little bit more serious. Uh, the Bobby Knight ones are probably the best, in my opinion, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Herman Edwards, who's one of my favorite people in sports, uh, he he certainly, uh, you know, had a lot of really good uh, ones in there, too. And the first one that pops up on this, too, is uh, is also, I'm just going to, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase it here. Man, we talking about practice. Oh, we talking yeah. about practice, man. <laughs> I love that one. I love that one. I don't like. I don't like. I don't like the situation behind that, but that has become a a great play over the last twenty or so years since it happened. And um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, you know commercials. They've used that to sell stuff and. And that kind of thing, but that's that's another one of the, the best ones, probably from a player perspective. It is, and Allen Iverson that that ran is is legendary too. <laughs> but it also goes to show you that you kind of have to get the full story because when you just hear that little clip about practice, it makes Allen Iverson look like a bad guy. But Allen Iverson, you know, he's 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 hood. Let's let's call for what he is. And being that I'm from New York, reporting now from New York, that's the product of where I've been raised from is kind of the hood. I can understand a guy like Allen Iverson better than most people who haven't been raised in the hood could. Allen Iverson is a guy who played his heart out. Yes, he didn't do certain things in practice, but I tell you when it came to game time, this guy showed up to games. He put his heart on the – he plays hard on, on the floor. Yes, he may have done some things that ruffled some feathers. Yes, he did show up to some practice. But if you just watch that little clip to Allen Iverson, it is very entertaining, but it is kind of unfair because I watched his 30 for 30, and I watched the whole entire press conference, the whole context of what he was saying and that part. And it, it, if you just, just hear that part, it makes Allen Iverson sound bad. But he he was really making a point. <laughs> practice? We talking about practice? 
But yeah. it, it, it just goes to show you from a well, player standpoint, I can kind of understand where they got to get mad at the media because, yes, it did make Allen Iverson look bad. And, you know, Allen did was the type of guy that, you know, he was a great player. And, yes, he, he probably didn't have to show up to practice as hard as everyone else, but everybody looked at Allen Iverson because he was the franchise player. And at that time, it just looks bad. And also, you know, when him and his coach didn't get along well, that kind of fueled the drama, too. So, props to Allen Iverson, though. You know, he's a Hall of Famer, and that is a great tirade. But just make sure that when you do watch tirades, you get the whole context so you can get – you don't hate a guy just for one little 20 seconds of what you think he might have been complaining about. Exactly. You got to look at the whole story there, so – uh, one other one I wanted to mention here, too, that I think was a career changer uh, was um, when Mike Singletary was uh, head coach of the 49ers, and I want to say this would have been 2009, maybe 2010, somewhere in that uh, year. Um, I forget the name of the player. It was a tight end or wide receiver who basically thought the whole team was him, and Mike Singletary went on a tirade afterwards and said basically – I would rather get penalized on every play for playing with only 10 players than have a guy who's out there playing who's not sold out, that's not playing for the team, he's playing for himself. I'd rather get penalized every time. And, again, the name slips my mind um, on who the player was. But that guy ended up his, – his career changed after that. He, he made himself more of a team player, and I, I think that uh, Mike Singletary deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, one of the great uh, – disciplinarians in the sport uh, football uh, obviously played a big role in the 85 Bears uh, Super Bowl team uh, but certainly a great uh, great guy should get another opportunity to coach I think too in the NFL at some point yeah I totally agree with you you know he's a disciplinarian some people don't like it but hey sometimes you got to give tough love and you got to let people know especially in this day and age that when you're playing to win championships and team sports it's not about you it's about the team when you playing to play well as a team you may have to concede certain things about your game particularly individual stats that's something that is going to have to you may have to kind of concede some of that to get the team to win for example lebron james is a great example the guy passed the ball a lot if he was just a shooter and just shot all the time hey, he would have better stats as far as his overall points. But if you want to win championships, you've got to play in the context of a team. You may have to sacrifice bunt from time to time instead of swinging for the fences. If you want to win, it's one thing. If you're thinking about being yourself, that's another thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you've got to play the team sport. That's what this is about. Um, you know, it's one thing to – and I. This is where I've always had the comparison on, you know, everybody likes to try to compare uh, LeBron to Jordan. And for all intents and purposes, the talent, yes, there's a lot of comparisons there. Um, But I think what we've seen happen, and we live in a different different culture now than we did 30 years ago when Jordan was, you know, at the uh, beginning of the peak of his career. Um, And you can make this comparison, I'm sure, with a lot of other players in, in sports. But when you have a guy, and we'll use Aaron Rodgers as an example as well, the difference between him and Tom Brady will be another great example. When you make it about yourself versus about the team, 
in most cases, you're not going to win. And it's going to look bad on you later on. It's going to catch up with you at some point. So I, I think that, uh, you know, again, I get guys play for different reasons. They play for themselves. They play for the money. They play for the fame and notoriety. Um, you see guys that go on to be in movie stars after their athletic career is over. Um, but, again, I think when it comes down to it, the guys that I like the most, and I don't like guys on my team that are are, are self-centered. I, I like to see players that are out there trying to make the team better. And a good example of that, and I think he's grown up a little bit since this happened, but you look at Bryce Harper when he was in Washington for the first six, seven years of his career, and certainly has an ego. I think it's kind of come back down to earth a little bit since he went to Philadelphia. But he signed in 2019 with the Phillies. And what happened in 2019, the first year he wasn't with the Nationals, they go out and win the World Series. And I think they were a better team from a lot of perspectives, talent, chemistry, after he left. And sometimes the biggest name can sometimes be the biggest detriment to the team. Um, There's a lot of examples of that out there. And, you know, sometimes that's just the way it works. Sometimes you lose a big name, but you end up being a better team in the long run because that guy was a cancer in the clubhouse or he wasn't very good in the locker room or he he made it all about himself instead of about the team. So that's just kind of the way it works. I think that the, uh, the chemistry of a team certainly is almost as important as the talent that they have. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, Bryce Harper definitely ate a lot of humble pie because – you know, you're right. He's a guy who had a big ego, wouldn't run out plays to first base. You know, he thought, he, you know, he, it was about him. He let that big contract get to his head, and that was definitely a shot to his ego and his pride when you get traded and then the team wins the World Series the year, the first year you're gone. Not second year, the first year you're gone. Same, pretty much the same team, too. You know, in that definitely is a humble pie and that's what it's about. You got to play for your team. You can't just think about yourself and your individual stats. I feel as if that stuff will take care of itself. If you're a team player, if you do things the right way, your stats and your numbers and people voting you a hall of fame, it'll, it'll take care of itself. But when you start just playing for yourself, bad things happen and you get dissension. Perfect example, as you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers. I think he was a team player, and now he started playing for himself. And that's where things really went bad for him. You know, um, you guys who are team players, you know, like LeBron James is, things usually work itself out. I mean, even though he didn't do far this this time around in the playoffs, he usually makes it to the, to the finals. I mean, you can't deny that. And, you know, Michael Jordan, I know people hate on LeBron James, but – Michael Jordan had a great team. Let's just not let's not kid ourselves. I watched the last dance. The guy that he had, the supporting cast was outstanding. Starting from the coach to the rest of the players. And LeBron James is gonna be a great player in his own own regard, his own legacy, and when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah. Definitely agree with you there. So what a night here tonight. Uh, it's nice to have you there in uh, in New York. Uh, there in, uh, of course, uh, as you mentioned, Brooklyn, your hometown. Yeah. Definitely been an interesting show here tonight. And, again, uh, for those of us uh, or those of you who were listening to us at the very beginning here at about uh, 930 Eastern, we had our probably biggest snafu on the audio side <laughs> in the history of our show. 
we certainly want to clean that up and apologize for the the mix up there. Definitely been fun. I know uh, we'll be back again next week to uh, go more over what's going on in the world of sports. There's going to be a lot more baseball and basketball uh, going on at that point. And then I wanted to mention this too. I didn't really get a chance to talk about this too much uh, last week. I want to congratulate uh, Helio Castroneves. Uh, he is now a four-time Indy 500 winner. First time that uh, first time anybody's done that in 30 years. The last guy to do it was Rick Mears. And I got to tell you, I've watched a lot of Indy races over the years, the Indy 500 in particular. And last Sunday, as the race and the laps wore down, and he was in the lead, and a, a, a dogfight really at the end of the race, the last two laps in particular, I was shouting at the top of my lungs and jumping up and down. I wanted to see another another four-time winner. There's only been four guys in the history of that race, which is 105 years that have won it four times. And so to see history in the making there, something that only happens once about every two and a half to three decades, it was a very special moment. So I want to congratulate him. Uh, 46, that's pretty old in, in race car driver years. So, you know, he might not have a chance to win another one, uh, but definitely, and I'll also 20 years from the first time he won it in 2001, to winning it here in 2021. So uh, definitely a decorated career, and uh, he did get the opportunity to uh, to drink the uh, the cold milk there at the end of the race once again. So I want to congratulate him. Once again, a great team that he has and a great uh, driver, uh, certainly a legend in his, own, uh, in his own right. Yeah, that's outstanding news there. It's always nice when us uh, older guys end up winning. winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I did want to definitely congratulate him as well. Winning eighty five hundred, drinking that cold milk, definitely it's, <laughs> it's great to see. And did did you expect him to actually win the Indy five hundred? Well, I mean, going into the race, and I forget where he started. Um, you know, there are a lot of young drivers in this, in this circuit. Um, it, it, it's the, the, the neat thing about, and we didn't really get into this too much last week when we were talking about, um, about the, the race coming up. The, the interesting thing about indie racing is it, there's a lot of young drivers, as I mentioned before, but it's a very international sport. You get guys from the United States, you get guys like Ilya Castroneves, who's from Brazil, you get guys from Europe and Australia and, Really, it's a it's a global event. I mean, there's 33 guys that start in the race in the Indy 500 at least, and the circuit overall has always been very very internationally uh, represented. Um, you've had guys from all over the world who've won the race before. So, um, I mean, from Emerson Fittipaldi, who's French, the late Dan Weldon, who is Australian. Um, it's a really neat thing because you have, you know just a great representation overall and you're really getting the best in the world when it comes to, to high uh high uh velocity race car driving quite frankly and those cars have always been you know i like nascar too don't get me wrong i've actually picked up my tickets for the daytona race coming up here in august today but indy car racing is something that's a lot different it's open wheel um it's a lot more dangerous certainly um because of the high speeds but it's just something that's so special and it's got such a long and decorated history in our country. And um, to say that I expected him to win, I mean, look, guys won the thing three times before this. 
So to have him as a competitor, certainly he was there. But again, just like any other sport, you know, if you're 40 in baseball, you're going to have a lot of guys that are better than you because they're younger and more athletic. Same thing in football. To some degree, that's probably similar in racing. But here's a guy who, again, had won the race three times in the past. And the strategy he had at the end of the race paid off for him. So I don't know that I expected him to win or even be a competitor. But I got to tell you this. I rooted for him, especially the last 15, 20 laps. I thought, you know what, he's right in, in the vicinity there. And I definitely want to make sure he gets a chance to win because there's nobody else out there who's won this race more than twice at this point. And you may not see another four-time winner again for a long time. It's been 30 years since the last time it happened. So um, just a neat event to see. And I am planning to actually be in Indy next year. I'd like to see that race for the first time in person. So That's awesome. Definitely. We should uh, definitely get your thoughts on that when you show up to the tickets and show up. <laughs> <laughs> to that event. And it's always nice when somebody does something that you don't see every day. So congratulations, definitely when an Indy 500. And yeah, I definitely wanted to give a couple other things. I wanted to congratulate Bryson Chambo. He got his first Eagle today in the Memorial uh, Championship that's going on. And also other things in boxing. Wanted to keep you up to speed and and wanted to wish Antonio Tarver Jr., his son of Antonio Tarver, a big fight that's coming up on the 18th that he's had. I know he's been out of ring for a while. Definitely wish him a lot of luck. I even uh, got a like from Antonio Tarver. I told him I was going to – I would have loved to, to watch his son fight, but unfortunately I'll be in Miami covering a, the signature punch boxing event in Miami on that weekend. So I told him that I won't be able to unfortunately cover it due to that. I also wanted to thank Top Rank Boxing. They did give me an invitation to go ahead and go to Vegas and not cover the actual fight due to limited capacity, but they did allow me to be a member of the press conference before and after the fight at the actual venue. So I wanted to give uh, Top Rank Boxing, they extended me the invitation in Vegas to do that. I will be part of the Zoom press conference, but I won't actually travel to Vegas um, this particular fight on the 12th, but I will definitely try to get in the venue and give you guys the full fight night when they do allow me to get the credentials to do that. I feel like they're uh, we're knocking on the door and we're just going to keep plugging away until we get the, that opportunity to get in to actual fight and me to cover the entire venue, both wait, wait, both the press conference before the fight, during, and after. So I feel like we're knocking on the door. I definitely appreciate they've, they've given me the next step in that, and I appreciate of that, but we are going to give you that. I'll keep you posted when that happens. And also in boxing, they got a fight tomorrow. Mayweather's back in the ring tomorrow, folks. <laughs> He's fighting Logan Paul, and I know a lot of people <laughs> – I got a lot of flack on this because I did post that I, I gave Logan Paul a 10% chance of winning this fight. <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of fans were like, 10%, that's too much. And I'm like, no, 10% is about fair, and that's, that's all I'm going to give. I'm not going to give any less than that, and I'm not giving any more than that. And they're like, why are you giving 10%? And I'm like, well, 
Logan Paul is taller and bigger than Mayweather. Anything can happen in a ring. I would pretty much just about give 10% to anybody Mayweather fought, even if the person didn't have any accolades in, in boxing. Somebody on the street, I still would give him a 10% chance because you just never know in boxing. And B, he is the bigger guy. So 10% is all he's getting. I got Mayweather winning that fight tomorrow by a decision. I don't see it going any other way other than Mayweather winning. And that's the one of the fights. I also do think uh, the second, the other fight, which is interesting, is Chad Otosinko is fighting as well on that card. I got Chad Otosinko losing that fight. <laughs> so <laughs> Chad Otosinko is going to lose. And unfortunately, I just got Logan Paul losing as well. Those are my thoughts. Definitely a good evaluation there uh, this <laughs> evening. Uh, <laughs> I, I definitely agree with uh, Chad Ochoa losing uh, there as well. So, um, but those will be interesting. Those are always fun because sometimes it's so predictable you can you can see it coming a mile away. Sometimes there's surprises. I mean, things do happen uh, out of the ordinary occasionally in that in that area, and that can can certainly throw a, a, a wrench into it all. But uh, I think you're you're pretty much dead on in your prediction in my mind. So, hundred percent there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a great night here. Uh, been a great night here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. Again, uh, this is the first time we've ever done, uh, at least in my recollection, a show where one of us was not in our normal studios. I'm in my new studio here tonight, so this is my first time uh, at my new um, my new uh, setup here. Definitely going to have a lot more fun the rest of this year. Uh, but we want to thank you all for tuning in here tonight, uh, June 4th, 2021. Hard to believe we're already uh, five-plus months or so into the year. We have a lot more to talk about here as uh, as the next several weeks go by, and certainly look forward to having everybody back. And want to hear from you too. If you want to drop us a line on our Facebook page, you're more than welcome to do so, as long as you keep it uh, keep it clean. Um, you know, we can take some criticism, but we want to keep it clean if we can. And uh, you know, let us know what you're thinking about, and maybe give us some topics to talk about too. We'd like to to know what's on your mind as the fans. We'd certainly be happy to read your comments on the air again, as long as they're clean. That's right. All the time. We welcome you <laughs> Keep it clean. Well, for Alan, this is Aaron signing off here tonight. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Evan Aaron Sports Talk Podcast. <laughs> and check out us on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.